The Batteries Included podcast is brought to you with United Chargers. United Chargers presents the Grizzly range of EV chargers. There's the original Grizzly Classic, a powerful, heavy-duty, portable EV charging station built to withstand the toughest conditions. The Grizzly Duo, a dual-port unit designed to charge two vehicles at the same time. The Grizzly Mini, a small, portable charging station built with an indoor-outdoor rated cast aluminium enclosure. And the Grizzly Smart, a revolutionary smart EV charger. All Grizzly chargers come with a convenient 24-foot cable and the ability to adjust the current from 16 amps all the way up to 40 amps. That's 9.6 kilowatts, plus the IP67 rated. Built in Canada with the highest quality materials, order yours now at unitedchargers.com. That's unitedchargers.com. Hello, and welcome to the Batteries Included podcast. It's September the 15th, 2023, and this is episode number three. Thank you very much for joining us. On today's show, we'll be talking about Kyle trying to kill the Kia EV6 GT on the Autobahn, a Tesla Model 3 actually burning down on the highway, the debut of the Peugeot E3008 from Stellantis, and of course, much, much more. I'm Dominic Yoni, host of the YouTube channel Drive Electric with Dominic. Joining us today is the highly esteemed Mr. Tom Malogny, Senior Editor at Inside EVs and host of the YouTube channel State of Charge. We also have the mellifluous Mr. Martin Lee from the EV News Daily Podcast, which is available on all the best podcast platforms. And of course, we have Kyle Connor, who joins us from the majestic, practically palatial halls of Autospec Studios, where he produces high-voltage videos for a number of YouTube channels. Hi there, everybody. Good, Good to see afternoon. you all. I like you guys, especially you, you Martin. It's from really the comments, great to have everyone's you. happy to see Martin. Hey, yeah. that's good. Well, it's great to see you guys, and it's great to be here. And uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when I came on the show that we were adopting a uh, baby girl, and that's uh, two weeks today that she moved in. And so my wife Emma has just taken her out to uh, to go see Nanny because uh, uh, my wife's mum is uh, is down staying. She lives about an hour away, but she's down in the area. So they've gone to see uh see see nanny or grandma and um and i get the time to come and, and say hi to you guys and and, and more yeah, more importantly the viewers as well and the listeners to the podcast to say thank you for your support I had some amazing messages um and uh, and people saying oh you're doing a wonderful thing you know adopting a child that didn't have a home and hey it's it's entirely selfish because she's gorgeous i'm in love um and i've just seen the next 16 years of my earnings disappear like that she already looks at me at the side of her eye and smiles and i'm like oh no because i've got a son as well and he's five and like i'm really harsh on him I pick that up don't do this and i'm you know as a little girl i'm already the cliche such a cliche dad of being like, oh you oh, you poor little thing so uh, thank you so much for all the messages amazing uh so lovely to know there's an amazing community of people out there uh, thank you so much right on awesome Hey, so let's uh, start by talking about Kyle's attempt to melt down the Kia EV6 GT <laughs> on the German Autobahn. So, Kyle, you're back in Colorado, it looks like. Is that right? Yes, just for uh, two two days and then back on another trip. Okay. <laughs> uh, so in your video on the uh, Out of Spec Reviews channel, you refer to this as a thermal stress test. So the video is like almost an hour long. And I, I think you weren't even going to put it out, but I, I certainly enjoyed it. So I thought we'd talk about it just a little bit real quick. Uh, so the Kia EV6 GT is the spiciest version of the car. It gets it puts out 576 horsepower and 546 pound-feet of torque. It goes from 0 to 60 in 3.4 seconds. has a top speed of 161. 
so maybe just talk us about the parameters of this test and since it involves charging as well as some fast driving and uh, and tell us maybe if it actually can do 161 or if you found out the, the uh, <laughs> yeah it does, a little, it does a little bit more than that which is okay. good um, so, uh, you know, it basically matches Tycon on top speed, which is great. So you're like 165, something like that. Mm. Um, but, but I'm surprised we're talking about this on the podcast. Cause I thought this was a pretty lame video. I even put in the comments, <laughs> like, I wasn't, wasn't going to post this one because it just right. dragged on. It was more of a like test for me as someone right. who's interested in performance electric vehicles, which to be totally transparent is like not really our audience. They're like efficiency minded, save the environment. I'm just like, I just want to go fast in an electric car. Right. And so, you know, I thought it was an interesting topic to like see how much abuse it could take. And we've done this uh, a couple of times in other videos and other ways to look at the thermal, uh, you know, envelope that a car can operate in and how it can handle it. And, you know, part of this car being an EV6 GT means it needs to do sporty stuff. And so, yeah, we did, you know, deep charging session, high speed driving down the Autobahn, full send, back to charging, back to the Autobahn, just to see what would happen and how it would do. And honestly, the car uh, performed so well. It was unbelievable in my eyes as to how well it handled just being thrashed down the highway at top speed for seemingly you know, time on end. Yeah, we overheated it. That was the point of the video. You can overheat every electric car for the most part. And, um, but it just took forever. And I actually thought in some areas did better than Tycon, which was really great. Now I haven't had a chance to get my model S plaid on the Autobahn because that's on this side of the pond. However, um, one thing I thought was cool was Tesla offered us a model S track pack press car, uh, which even know Tesla does press cars. So mm -hmm. we'll arrange that soon and, uh, do that car then see how yeah, that I, I I've in got Europe? friends here. I've got friends here in uh, Tesla in the UK, and and I speak to them, and they and they say, oh, you know, so and so magazine wants a car to go on a road trip this weekend with their family. And the editor of you know a well-known magazine just called me. They want a car for the weekend. So I thought it was just the done thing, but I think Tesla in Europe operates differently to Tesla in the US. Uh, I know it does actually, and uh, and yeah, cars are available, and they, you know they reach out. I get emails. It's not from the PR department because. Obviously, Tesla has no PR department. Elon Musk doesn't believe in that. Um, I think they call them a different name, like influencer marketing or something. So, yeah, it's cool. I mean, Tesla, I have a great relationship with them here. So that's different for you guys. Yeah. So I just got distracted by this comment. Looks at, I don't know if this is real or not, but uh, Nathan Green, who's a longtime viewer, uh, says, I'm hearing through the grapevine there's already a stop sale on the new Blazer EV. Um Okay, interesting. Well, if you hear anything, uh, let us know. Uh, but yeah, so so how so basically this was the, uh, this Kia EV6 GT drive was to really check how well it dissipated the heat from the from the batteries or the inverters and the motors. So I guess you're saying it did really well. Like was yeah, there any throttle any any. Oh, yeah, we overheated it for sure, um, mostly through the charging process. The thing is, when the car is stationary and right. it can charge so fast, there is a lot of waste heat in this uh, situation. And so we noticed some derated charging sessions. But actually, for the driving portion, you know, even after a derated charging session, which is keeping the cells pretty much at max temperature, uh, we were able to jump out on the highway and get pretty much right up to top speed. And, you know, maybe we'd lose that you know, full 570 horsepower, whatever it can do. Um, right. But it, what, what we'd get, 
you know, maybe 300 and something. And like, it was pretty good. Uh, overall, I thought the car was, was really amazing. And, um, you know, for a performance car, for me, I was really thinking like the Ionic 5N, I've really got my eye on this car because I think it yeah. looks cool. It's going to be even spicier than this car. It's going to have even extra cooling over this car. I believe a secondary compressor uh, for cooling, which will be really interesting. So I thought, well, I had the EV6 GT. Let's see if we can melt this one. And if we couldn't, uh, or if it performed really well, that bodes great for Ionic 5N. And it also just shows you they didn't make the car fast just for that initial zero to 60 time figure. This thing can perform over a long period of time as well. So yeah, not something we need to spend a lot of time on, yeah, uh, no. but but it was it was interesting to push it to its limits and to see how it handled. And I, I think myself and all of the viewers were really blown away and impressed with this package for the price. A friend of mine said it had too much power. Really, I mean, well, he, well, he owned five, one. Two point four seconds is is quick. He said it was too much. It was just too much, too uncontrollable for everyday driving. And he owns an i four M fifty. He's owned performance cars. He didn't get on with just just the GT. Yeah, I, I don't. I could see him saying that because the car is not uh, stable. It's not like it's not like tuned for the power. You can tell they right. took an EV six and just like cranked it to twelve <laughs> because the normal EV six I think only does hundred eighty kilometers an hour. This does. 270 so almost 100 kilometers an hour faster uh and it's like um you know it's fairly unstable at top speed the car is not built for that you can tell you know you get into a porsche on the autobahn you don't slow for the corners that thing is flat it's amazing <laughs> you know you can do 160 miles an hour around a corner this thing i'm like full regen paddle <laughs> on the brakes <laughs> turning mm. slightly unstable what that means, though, is like when you get it on a back road, it's really fun and tossable and lively and exciting. And, you know, I think it's worth the compromise of the high speed stability for the low mm. speed fun uh, that you right. don't really get in the Taycan, to be honest. So, yeah, I thought this was, um, yeah, the Kia engineers, it comes just down to this EGMP platform is awesome. Uh, and it's they, they really put some great tech in this car, really put some great performance in this car. I think their software still sucks. They really need to improve the software. Um, like the whole integration of, of the experience is terrible. There is no integration. It's like the UI is completely separate from what else is going on in the car. Route planning doesn't work. No plug in charge, all these little things. So yeah, that that's my main issue with it. Okay, right on. Uh, okay, so let's go from you trying to burn down a car to a car actually burning down. So uh, Tom, uh, you came across some some news the other day. Uh, so this is something I, I I didn't even know that could actually happen. Like it's happened before in the past with like a Tesla Model S, but it's happened here with a with a Model Three. So I don't know. Just fill us in. What's what's going on here with the Tesla Model Three burning down somewhere? Yeah. So I I got a call uh, not yesterday, the day before, from uh, a good friend of mine who's a first responder. And uh, he was kind of like, hey, uh, you have any interest in this? And, and he showed me a quick video. And I'm like, hell yeah, you know, what's going on? So he said, look, it seems like uh, this is a 2022 Tesla Model 3. Hmm. Guy was driving down the highway, said he hit something. Didn't know what he hit, but he hit something. And then shortly after that, started getting warnings on the display screen saying, you know, uh, malfunction, pull over, you know, exit the vehicle, whatever. I don't know exactly what it said, but that was the gist of what it, it, he told me. And then some person pulled over, called the fire department or called the police or the fire department and uh, started smelling smoke, had time to collect his stuff, get out of the vehicle 
and then uh, it slowly the smoke got worse. The a fire started in the front of the vehicle and uh fire departments came down and uh took them it was a bear to, to handle because it just wouldn't go out they just kept you know pouring and pouring and pouring water on it and it would seemingly be you know under control and then it would flame up again you know it was a typical case of thermal runaway uh you know which happens with with electric vehicle battery packs the the batteries can actually produce their own heat and their own oxygen so it's not it's you can't get it knocked down and then okay it's down the temperature's down it's not going to reignite L like a normal car um the, the the battery itself will just create its own heat make its own oxygen you can't smother it and and, and flame up again and that's what happened and we, we talked a little bit about how much more expensive it is for the uh the first responders and he was like you know just compared to a regular fire we had like five times the amount of people here it took us five times as long we used so much more resources you know the the fumes the fumes are actually worse than regular combustion vehicle fumes they're more toxic you know and he was just like we we've got to figure out a way of handling this better you know and as as we get more and more electric vehicles on the road i'm sure there's companies out there figuring out ways of doing it we've seen the uh in europe they're experimenting in some areas with like a the truck pulls up and it's a giant tanker of water and they pick the ev up and just dunk it in uh, out in arizona uh, what they do is in, in some areas, they pick up the vehicle kind of similarly and put it in a dumpster and pour sand on it. And right. then they keep it under the sand for a day or two. So we're still trying to figure out if somebody type foam, though foam doesn't work, Tom. Uh, and uh, uh, they're, they're, they're trying to figure out what the best way is doing this. The good thing what happened on this, it burned so badly, the whole battery tray dropped out of the vehicle, which was actually a good thing. Because right. then they could pick up the vehicle, drag it onto a tow truck and take it away and then scoop up all the batteries and put them in drums and then isolate the drums if they reignite at some point. Because there's been instances where they've knocked the fire down multiple times on the cars. They've they, they're they convinced it's out. Tow truck comes, they put it on a tow truck and then it catches on fire on the tow truck a half an hour later on the way to the, the yard and then the tow truck burns down. So, yeah. I mean, the, you know, that yeah, everybody's there's a lot of concern about electric vehicle fires rightfully so the the general public doesn't understand them everybody sees these things they make the news because they're so unique and they assume they're more likely to catch on fire but it's not true the truth of the matter is they're much less likely to have a fire uh and when you do have a fire you typically have a lot of time to get out of the vehicle it doesn't burst into flames unless there's a catastrophic accident where you know, you, it's, it's, you know, like what happened with that actor with the Porsche that, you know, slammed into a tree at hundred miles an hour. They died instantly because it burst into flames that that could happen with an EV. But in most instances, you're going to have enough time to get out. The big problem with, with electric vehicles is for the first responders and, and what happens to the vehicle afterwards. It's not necessarily for the retail customers, but, but people read in the news a lot, you know, Tesla goes on fire. Can't, can't, they can't control it for five hours. And, and they're just thinking, oh, my God, I'd never want to drive anything like that. You know, it's so unsafe. But that's actually not the truth. So I put out a video. I'm going to put it out today on State of Charge. And I talk a little bit about fire safety. I have a lot of extended video on this fire in that. So I talk about the Tesla fire first. Then I talk about, you know, how EV fires are dealt with and, and why you really shouldn't be concerned about getting an EV. So there's a few questions in, in the comments here. Uh, Smidge asks, do we know the chemistry of this battery? So I believe you said it was a 2022, right? 
Yeah, so that would, I mean, it's Model 3, so that right. would have been the 2170 cells. Yeah. Here's, a, here's a 2170 cell here, um, yeah. and and, uh, a- and and it would have been the nickel um, uh, co- co- cobalt manganese um, cells, so which have a higher propensity to have thermal runaway. The, the big problem, not problem, the reason why is that they have a lower, like, ignition point. The NCM battery packs will ignite and have thermal runaway at around 300 degrees Fahrenheit, the LFP packs go up to between five and 600 degrees before they have thermal runaway. So they're, they're a little bit less likely to, to um, happen where, you know, you put the fire out and then it reignites. And and the LFP packs are prismatic cells, right? In the model three standard range. They're like the bricks. Is that because they're, they're not the, not the pouch we, cells? We don't get those in the U S I don't think, right? Yeah, we don't, I don't think they're here. Kyle might know better than in me. Canada, I don't think we have the LFPs in model threes here. Oh, you don't get that we in, do, in Kyle. The... I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure. I'm staying on top of it. You're, you're asking if we get LFP model threes, standard yeah. range. Oh, the uh, standard yeah, range. Yeah, and okay. it's the prison, I, haven't, it... I haven't stayed on top of that. I know the Y has it. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, no, yeah. so the it... Y doesn't get it here. Okay. Um, so the oh, Y is all 2170 NMC. Only the base three is LFP. And but so the Y the, is uh, where they first yeah. started using LFPs in in China, right? Or no? I don't know which yes. was the first product, but yeah. that sounds. I think three was the first that they started doing in Shanghai. Oh, okay. With LFP. Yeah. I had that. Mis- those, I had that confused. Those are the right. CATL cells. But if people are wondering how we know what the chemistry is, because you can see in this picture lots and lots of little tubes of the twenty one seventies that Tom just showed you, um, and that's not the format, the physical format of how they package LFP chemistry. So we know it's not the lithium ion phosphate stuff because it, I think it I think the tester is the, the prismatics like they're like bricks or old VHS tapes yep. or something. So um uh, it, we would know looking at this what it but these are the cells the, so well, these and are the cylinders. The and the LFP wouldn't burn in the same behavior as no the- no yeah I yeah, show in wow. my video clearly they knock the fire out and then the next thing you start to see it smoke and it smokes more and more and then poof it ignites again and they got to run wow. back over and, and start uh, pouring the water on it. So it was a bear to put out and uh, you know, it's just, it uses a lot more resources and it, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's something that first responders are, are struggling with. Wow. Interesting. Well, so you have a video coming out later today discussing this. I think Kyle, you said something, you might have a video uh, around a similar fire suppression technology i believe coming out sometime soon maybe in the future yeah i don't know when no 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 time okay okay but we may actually do another episode uh, here with us uh maybe sometime next week about uh just fire safety and dealing with fires and evs and all that stuff and they're actually you know tom you know these people can we get them on the show to talk about what it was like i'll ask that would be i don't don't know there's there's a lot of rules with you know what you're allowed to talk about um you know, I was surprised that they actually afforded me the opportunity to to show this. And John checks asking about where's the video online. John, it's nowhere. I am the only one that has it. And it will be on my State of Charge channel soon. And, and uh, you're seeing it here first on Batteries Included. Now, this This video hasn't been released yet. That's why we put a watermark on the photos because if, he, if you know if someone can use them and screenshot them and put it on another EV website if they want to, but we just didn't. Um, uh, that's tom sourced this story directly and so uh if this isn't just out there on the internet somewhere so right well that's kind of it's all kind of weird because i've and it says, does say a lot about uh, good things about the model 3 too because this happened really early on with the tesla model s as i mentioned it uh somebody ran over like a, i think it was like a three three-sided toe hitch kind of deal like a 
That was one of the things that ha- made it happen. Multiple Model S's hit multiple items and went on fire. Right. But the I one mean, that broke the camel's, the, the straw that broke the camel's mm. back was that one. Because right. then Elon got involved and started saying it impaled the Model S. It had no chance. You know, it actually lifted the vehicle up, you know, which and right. to Tesla's credit, they immediately acted on that. And they installed um, a, a series of, of parts, a, a, a titanium shield and an aluminum tube on the front to deflect items under. That's all in the video that I'm putting out today. Right. Um, and so I want I my, my first question, first thought in my head was, geez, do the Model 3s and Model Ys have this same Achilles heel that the Model Ss have? A, a small area in the front where if you hit something just right, it's going to penetrate it. But then I started saying, you know, when, when the Model S had the problem, it was in the very beginning. There are a few thousand Model S's on the road. So there was an extremely high percentage of fires with the little amount of model. This was back in 2013 and 2014 that Tesla had the problem. And they corrected it early in 2014. So, But then I said, you know what? There's 4 million Model 3 and Model Y collectively uh, out there in the world now. And we haven't seen this happen to a high degree. So I'm, uh, I'm leaning on the side of saying this was a unique incident where you know something just hit the right spot it was the right type of debris that hit the right spot and it caused this to happen uh unlike what happened with the model s where we had three or four fires in the first few months of them being launched and that and that was that was a problem there and uh and tesla quickly corrected it i don't think that's the issue with threes and y's Right. So the, the Model 3 packs and Y packs are a lot different from the Model S packs. So the Model 3 packs, the cells are like, there's all of this, like, I think it's fire suppressing foam too, right? It's, it's all surrounding the, the cells in, in those 2170 packs. Kyle, you know, if, if, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm fairly certain that has some sort of, uh, you know, helpfulness in that situation. But, you know, hard, hard to say exactly, you know, what happened here and how it all came to this and be great to talk to the driver as well and see what they have to yeah. say. Sure. Did they know what they hit as well? Like that's, that's interesting. Did they yeah. see something in the road or just hear a noise or something like that? Um, Stuff happens so, really fast on the highway sometimes, you know? And I wonder how often Tesla take these vehicles back. So I mentioned to you guys on our group chat this week, I remember a story from years ago where a guy had his uh, Tesla go up in flames and, and it made the press and he blamed tesla and these elect these new electric cars they go up in flames and tesla took the car back and found a bullet in the pack and it turned out he discharged a weapon in the vehicle and was found and was found guilty of that he was like oh yeah you, you know you got me um <laughs> and it's like oh come on so i wonder how many times now that tesla that is a, the problem it, <laughs> <laughs> i had yeah, no think, idea you know sh- shooting a battery yeah. um but didn't admit to it because he knew he'd get in trouble and uh and i wonder like now tesla's not a small kind of niche car maker anymore now they're you know, model y is the number one car in the world mm. whether they even bother anymore like but if they see this like or well they know it happens because they got the telemetry whether they even seek to get any vehicles back to learn or whether they're just too busy scaling and getting bigger and bigger because they know they've got to the point of safety now whereas i guess in the early days they they just had to check just had to check and i'm sure they found some stuff they improved and fixed I wonder whether they follow up on these kind of things and want the vehicle back if they can buy it off the insurer or, or, or I mean, it, as Tom said, it's wrecked. The battery pack dropped down. It's that there's there's very little to give away what what could have punctured it. Yeah, uh, exactly. And 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 let me have a disclaimer here. The everything I spoke about here is hasn't been published um, and proven to be correct. 
this is what I've gotten from my source that he hit an object and he pulled over and, you know, smoke them fire. Uh, it could prove that somehow somebody got something wrong. Okay. That's, mm. you know, my just, nothing's been announced and, and published yet. So uh, this all just happened, you know, and uh, as far as I know, nobody's talked about it, but, but, uh, but I have, and I, yeah. I, you know, honestly, if I didn't get this exclusive pictures and photos, I probably wouldn't have because fires happen all the time with gas cars and they're going to happen with electric vehicles on occasion. Uh, but since I had this unique uh, opportunity, I said, let me take this uh, time to talk about EV fires, EV fire safety. And if you need to be concerned about buying an EV, I mean, hell, I bought a Chevy Bolt. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you know, and I mentioned that in the, uh, in, in the, uh, yeah, that's the battery pack. I mentioned that in the video. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, that's, I don't just, you know, talk the talk. <laughs> I put a Chevy <laughs> Bolt in my garage at night and let it charge. So, but then again, I'm the guy that drove in the backseat of a Ford Pinto in five years <laughs> for five years in the seventies. So maybe I just need to live on the edge. <laughs> if you can survive that, you can survive anything. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh my God. I love it. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. Anything else we need to think, talk about this? Or we, we put this oh, in the just to say to the you know our viewers and listeners, if they have any questions, you can either leave it in the live chat now or the comments because we're doing a slightly different thing with this version of the show uh, in that we are then uh, able to just do a little bit of work on the podcast and then upload it as a video on YouTube uh, rather than just letting the live stream kind of sit there. So we take this live stream down. So we lose the live comments, but feel free to, we, we will keep the comments or in the comments below, any questions that you've got about fires, anything you're curious about, and we'll try and find some experts to put them to. So please leave us your, you know, your thoughts, your questions, your observations, and we'll, um, yeah, we'll do a special show about that. All right. So I guess let's talk about what's been else has been happening in the uh, EV world this week, starting with the debut of the Peugeot E3008. So they don't sell the Peugeot brand in the US, but I want to talk about it because this is the first EV from Stellantis to sit on the STLA medium platform. And so we should see sedans and crossovers from maybe Jeep or Chrysler with similar specs and powertrain configurations. Uh, coming to here eventually. So just on the, to touch on the styling real quick, the uh, Peugeot, uh, Peugeot refers to the E3008 as a fastback SUV. So it has a rake to the rear roof line that's even more dramatic than what we've seen on a couple on the, uh, on the coupe style SUVs. It's uh, 178 inches long, so about four inches shorter than the Nissan Aria. It comes, uh, it comes with either a 73 kilowatt hour battery or a 98 kilowatt hour pack and it's a 400 volt system so the motors are permanent magnet synchronous and it come it comes in the front wheel drive or wheel all wheel drive with the uh, smaller battery the large battery version only comes with front wheel drive so i suspect the, the big battery has to push into the space where the rear mounted would be uh rear motor would be mounted usually so with the 73 kilowatt hour battery the front motor puts out 210 horsepower uh, where it gets 230 horsepower with a bigger battery. The rear motor is smaller. It adds 111 horsepower. So the range with the big pack is pretty great. 435 WLTP miles. So the EPA would probably rate that somewhere in the high 90, high 390s, I think. Um, range for both single and dual motor with the small battery is the same 326 WLT, uh, WLTP miles, which indicates it has a rear disconnect system on that rear motor. So you can put it in, but you can put it in four-wheel four drive mode, which keeps the rear motor engaged if you want to, but only up to 83 miles an hour. 
So peak DC charging is 160 kilowatts with the 73 kilowatt hour battery. And they say it can charge from 20 to 80% in three minutes under the under the right circumstances. Uh, they don't say what the peak power is on the bigger battery, but only that it charges from 20 to 80 in less than 30 minutes, um, which indicates a, like a better charging curve, I, I would I suspect. I think it's, I, I'd say if they didn't say what the uh, peak power is, it's probably the same. And then they just extend the curve of the battery. You know, they just allow the power levels to stay high deeper into the charge. Uh, and finally, it does have a, a vehicle to load and can put up three, three kilowatts of power. So, Tom, that's a bunch of info. But uh, any any thoughts about this car or, or guesses what this platform might underpin when it comes to the U.S.? So, um, first, talk about the appearance. I I, I really like this. I oh, yeah? That's kind of right in my wheelhouse. Front's a little chunky. Uh, that's the only thing that bothers me a little bit. But I like it. I, lo I like the rear. It reminds me of the I-Pace uh, rear end a little bit. That's the first thing I saw when I saw the uh, the rear. Um, you know, I, I haven't studied the stats, to be honest with you. I just looked at the pictures, the visuals, and and uh, really just looked at range and charging more than the performance. But, um, you know, I, I think Stellantis, and, and I've been really down on Stellantis for a while and maybe because we don't really see what Stellantis has been doing here in the U.S. as much other than the fact that they own the um, the, the Chrysler brand. Uh, I, I think that they're on the verge of really transforming the company into electrification. I think they get it. And and i not just guessing that. I've talked to people that in the industry recently that have kind of said, just keep an eye on Stellantis the next four or five years. They've got some really good things going. I think one of the first steps is this new platform that they're going to be using here. So, I, you know, I, without being able to drive it, I Peugeot brands, we don't get them here. Right. I haven't driven a Peugeot, haven't experienced a Peugeot since the, the early 80s when, uh, so when they were still selling cars here and my friends own them. So it's hard for me to really get a feel for the brand other than what people tell me that are, that are in the industry that are, see what they're working on. And I think uh, Stellantis is on the verge of kind of where Volkswagen was before they announced um, that, you know, that they were making this big wave. I think Stellantis, we're going to hear a lot of news on them. This particular vehicle, I can't get a feel for it without, you know, sitting in it, driving it or whatever, but I like how it looks. And I think it's good statistics so far. I think they're, they have some good stats put it put well here's for it. here's here's a question uh, i did never thought i'd ask is 435 miles and a 100 kilowatt hour battery just too much in a yeah. family car like this like they've got their current platform that they use is often you know 50 kilowatt hours uh, which is a little bit small but does a family car like this and Peugeot sells on price here by the way so okay value buyers so family buyers value buyers same as Citroen um, um probably same as Renault a lot of these brands have aspirations to be always move, always move up or you know or, and then new entrants come in at the bottom like Dacia and stuff but and you know back in the day like Hyundai and Kia but still they're, they're they're brands that sell on value on price on discount on getting a car in your driveway for the least amount of money possible with the most respect to everyone that works at these companies you're not buying a Peugeot badge in in most cases I would say so a car like this could it be cheaper if it had a 75 kilowatt hour battery pack and I mean it had 300 and something miles that would still be really good are we over specking EVs now I never thought ever I would say that well 
the small the small battery version is seventy three kilowatt hours. So it's, perfect. That's the uh, only one that they need. And that's the so yeah. Was, so that was just interesting. So Europe does this a lot. They sell a, a small battery version and a large battery version. They do that with a number of different vehicles. So and and we kind of think of Europeans as not maybe driving as far as we do here in America sometimes. Oh. Completely and, true. And, and so I wonder what the uptake difference is over there compared to what it would be over here. So this is kind of kind of interesting. I don't know. That's what that, that's what I was going to say. You from a U.S. perspective, Martin, you 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 can't at this point in electrification, you can't have too much range uh, in order to convince the buyers to get the uh, the vehicle. And it, it's hard for me to look at it through your eyes uh, from a European perspective. Um, but I know here in the U.S., you said, is they, are they overspecking it? Not for the U.S. market. We we. Okay. You know, but but I could see you know where you would say that for for Europe for sure. Lower the price, give me a smaller battery, and I'm fine with that. Simon has a good point uh, here, which is why I hesitated as I was saying what I was saying because yes, if I'm being historically correct, cars like Peugeot, like Citroen, with their innovative um, suspension, uh, they really were big luxury barges. They were they they at times they have made wonderfully old luxury cars. So yes, that's kind of why I stopped myself half three. But I think for the most part now, most modern Peugeots and Citroens are sold uh, on value. So yeah, historically, Simon's absolutely correct. And look Hang at on. brands like Kia that were a value brand. You know, and now how yeah. much does a Kia EV6 GT cost? You know, sixty one. Uh, so so, no. so, you know, I, th I think everyone's going upscale to a degree now, Martin, with the EVs, because they realize they can't, it's, it's almost like they can't put out an inexpensive bargain vehicle. So they might as well make one that's nice. <laughs> so that could be it also. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. Uh, well, so this is going to be a European vehicle, so we don't need to talk about it too much, but uh, we can... How dare our... you? How dare you? It's all um, about European viewers. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Martin. No, actually, if you look at the stats of this podcast, it's all it's all US viewers. I'm only joking. It's no, but it's just still true. But we want to look at the <laughs> we want to look at the the whole world of EVs. Really, I mean, it's, it's interesting what's going on in Europe and what's going on in China, and uh, it'd be interesting to see what what happens in in you know, there's EV companies in in Africa even, but we don't really talk about or have much get much visibility about you know yeah, up and coming true. you know startup companies. Um, so how much is like Cord says in the comments? How much is enough range? So I, I don't know what the answer is. Like uh, it all depends on price. Yeah. You can you could have a four thousand mile EV, just tow a big trailer with a bunch of batteries. It's not about how big the pack is. It's about the whole, you know, the, the, the package of price and efficiency. And uh Tom, what was the range you got out of the lucid when you did your range test on the lucid five? I five exactly on the nose. It was exactly five hundred, yeah. It's a lot of miles. But more so, than, like yeah. is that is is that enough? Do you want six hundred? I don't know. Um, and and how the the you can't ask the question how much range is enough without following it up with saying well how's the charging infrastructure because yeah. you know yeah. if 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 we had ubiquitous charging that worked every time everywhere then I think people could be driving around with two hundred mile EVs just fine uh, if if it was really easy and quick and seamless to 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 charge it wherever you went uh, so I mean I think that's a function of it and that's why I've maintained that. Over the course of time, over the course of the next decade, I think the ranges are going to get shorter in cars because the, the infrastructure is going to get so much better. People won't need them and they don't want to buy that 100 kilowatt hour battery uh, pack, uh, as, as Martin pointed out. They'll be fine with a 70, 65 or 70 kilowatt hour pack and just you know have to stop 
a little bit more frequently. Well, Kyle, right. you just got you and Alyssa just got back from Germany, or oh, from from being over here in Europe, and it's the charging is different, right? You just turn up and it works, and it's just you know, it's like you had some problems, but not a huge amount. Yeah, certainly some. Uh, Eon seemed to be the biggest offender. Uh, so we were, I, mean, I think everyone else has already called them this, but we just call them E off now. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that was a poor experience. And yeah, a couple little bugs here or there, but then it's like I come back to the US and charge on EV Go yesterday. And, you know, I go to set up Auto Charge Plus on my Rivian, and we're like 20 minutes into this process. Francie and I were trying to set it up and it's just like, isn't working. And then the session stops four minutes after starting to charge with no seemingly, uh, you know, no error code. Uh, you know, I had to, I restarted it the same way. So it wasn't a billing issue. I was like, what is, uh, welcome back to the US. I haven't even set it. I, I don't plan on setting it up. I, if I do, it'll just be to, to see how it works and make a video, but then I'll disable it. I well, don't no, really need it set yeah. up. It works great because yeah. then you don't have to deal with the stupid act to activate or tap your card. I don't uh, trust it yet. Well, it's and if it doesn't work, you can just, you know, then yeah. do it the old way. I use it all the time on my Model S with EVGO and it works great. It's the initial setup that's a pain in the ass sometimes. And there's no issue with the uh, uh, billing on uh, with using auto charge on EVGO as far as non account versus account like like plug like uh plug in charge has on electrify america kyle where you you can't you can't use your your account to um to get the discounted rate it always bills at the higher rate it that's not the case with the auto charge with evgo no it goes to your it always goes through your app yeah yeah it goes through yeah your app yeah. Right. whereas yeah. with the plug in charge the way it's set up now for all the companies it goes through the company's app not your network app well, that depends, actually. There are some that do it natively on EA, and there's some like Ford that do it on the back end. Um, and so, yeah, like with Ford owners, they have to pay more to plug and charge, is mm -hmm. my understanding. And if you are a second-hand Ford EV owner, then you can't set up plug and charge. Is that still true, Tom? Um, I'm not sure if they updated that yet, to be honest okay. with you. It's been so very slow. Their plug and charge updates have been terrible. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on with that, but, but EVGO. How about Porsche good. with the plug-in charge? Does that, does that go? Through? I thought that went through the Porsche app also. Yep, through the Porsche app. Yep, hmm. absolutely. But um, yeah, I'm trying to remember who doesn't. I feel like Mercedes goes directly through EA. Either way, it doesn't really matter yeah. if you have any of the cars with plug-in charge other than than Ford that offer free charging. Uh, get gets free charging when they do plug-in charge, like Lucid as an example. Yeah, but the, some of them have run out. Like if you're a Tycon owner, you've had your vehicle for three. You could have had your vehicle for three years now. The three-year charging is over, Kyle. No, not for not for Tycon yet because that was just 2021 that started with plug-in charge. And we haven't hit 24 yet. And the early 21s didn't have it is my understanding. Because 2020 Tycons don't plug-in charge. Right, right. So we haven't right. seen what's going to happen with that yet. But something we should keep our eye on. Yeah. Right on. Because I know as of a couple months ago, um, I know it would not like, it hasn't been solved yet, you know, where if, if they, if, if it ended now, they would, they, it, it would still revert back to the app and they'd pay a higher amount. Right. So like in Europe, the way it works is you have a, at least with Porsche, you get the Porsche charging plan, which you pay 33 cents per kilowatt hour on like every network as part of your Porsche thing. And that's like one of the best deals out there yeah. and it works with everyone. And that, yeah. that has been amazing. And that's, I'd love to have something like that here. 
Yeah, but the, the problem is our largest network, EA, will not roam with anyone. They just yeah. will not cooperate with ChargePoint, with EVgo, with uh, you know, blink any of these other companies to allow for roaming. Yeah. And so you just can't have one RFID card or one plug and charge card that can do it all. Unfortunately. Remember when they announced like eight years ago, or no, not eight years ago, six, about six years ago that that was going to happen. They called it Rove EV. They, they started an alliance and everyone was going to play together and everyone was going to, it was going to be all the major networks were on board. Um, but I think the breakdown came with uh, data sharing. I'm pretty sure that's why EA won't play with uh, the other networks because they there's an issue over who controls the data. Of course, unfortunately, yeah, I, I don't know the real reason why they don't, but they just there's there's obviously a way because Ionity does it. So there's got to be you know if the Germans do it, you know we should be less cautious with data here historically, and right. so uh, I don't know. I can't. Hey, so let's, let's talk about a car, a new car. Or almost new car, new to the U.S. Uh, so we talk about a lot about uh, expensive cars here. So it's nice to have something on the lower end of the market to uh, discuss. So Hyundai has uh, just released more details about the all-new Kona Electric. So overall, it's a bit better than the original in a number of ways. So like the original Kona, this one comes in both combustion and electric flavors. It's slightly larger than the first Kona. 5.9 inches longer with three more inches of rear seat room, which is sorely needed. Uh, one inch wider at 71.9 inches, and there's a scooch more headroom, like 0.4 of an inch or something. So this time it has two different battery sizes available in the US. So we're going to bring that discussion back about the, uh, the Peugeot. Um, so the uh, small one holds 48.6 kilowatt hours. Uh, the previous standard size version uh, of the of this battery was available in Europe, but not the U.S. And it was 39.2 kilowatt hours. So that's getting uh, uh, you know enlarged somewhat, if that's a word. <laughs> but we we didn't get that in the U.S. But so but we will be getting this 48.6 pack. The long range battery goes from 64 kilowatt hours to 64.8 kilowatts kilowatt hours. So just a slight improvement. There, uh, the the aerodynamics of the car are slightly better as well, and so it now gets 260 miles of range. The standard battery should offer 197 miles of range, but they're still waiting to hear uh, back from the EPA for to make that official. Uh, DC charging times are also a bit better, but still not great. With the big battery, it goes from 10 to 80 percent in 43 minutes. So yeah, that's about 15 minutes longer than we'd really like to see. Uh, power output is the same 201 horsepower and 188 pound-feet of torque with the big battery. The standard battery version only puts out 133 horsepower and 188 pound-feet of torque. Zero to 60 isn't mentioned, but it should be quite close to the original at 6.4 seconds. Uh, the standard battery version will be slower, of course, but probably under eight seconds. Uh, the Kona Electric now has a vehicle to load as well with an adapter, like it's uh, eGMP stable mates, like the Ionic 5. So we don't know what the total output of that V2L adapter will be in watts, but it can dish, up, up, dish out up to 16 amps. So the big question here now is price, and it's not mentioned yet, uh, but it will be interesting to see how, how low the standard battery version goes. The existing 2023 Kona Electric starts at 33.5. Kyle, 
do you think they'll charge a bit more than that for this new one? Or do you think possibly the Tesla Model 3 still puts downward pressure on price in this part of the market as well? Well, these cars have done really well in our market because of the value that you get. They were magically efficient. Um, it's also a hatchback with a different look than Model 3. I, I know a lot of Kona EV owners. Actually, my dad has owned two of these. And um, you know, back early days of, of EV, he had Bolts and Konas, and he was playing around with these cars. And they really are great cars. Um uh, you know, there, there were some issues with the early batteries in them. My uncle actually has one that he like freaked out. He's like, I can't park it in my garage. And like, you know, don't, don't bring it near the house. Cause he was afraid it was going to burn down. It actually broke down on him a few times. Okay. So maybe the track record for him personally hasn't been great, but uh, I think the reliability of the car as a whole has been awesome. The batteries just don't seem to degrade. They hold great range. Um, and, and now you have updated styling. Now I think it looks worse. Uh, right. And I actually prefer the original facelift of the Kona. This is now the third facelift of this car. Uh, right. And this is really a new platform, if you will. It's longer, all these things. But I actually think the one to go for is the previous in terms of styling. I think 2022, they did an update to it. 2021, 22. Anyway, yeah, uh, car, cars are solid. I don't think it's a real, uh, you know, certainly on paper, it's a competitor to Model 3 and Model 3 smokes it, but I don't really see the owners cross-shopping them. And uh, if they can keep it in the 30s and you can get a lease and you can bake in the tax credit on the lease, then yeah, maybe maybe we're getting somewhere. I'm wondering if the, uh, the, if the, the uh, standard version, standard range version of this car will be under 30s in, in the 20s. It would be incredible if they could get a 29.9 on a small SUV electric car that is going to be fine for 90% of use cases that's, you know, has proven reliability as a platform that's been out for a while. That would be amazing. I love yeah. mine. I love in the summer. It reads 300 and something miles. Genuinely, I do a lot of motorway miles as well. And it sits very happily at four point something miles per kilowatt hour if the weather's a little bit warmer. I don't think mine hasn't even got a heat pump. I think all these new ones come with a heat pump, at least in the, the European market. I think ours got ex more expensive on the list price by maybe 700 or 1,000 pounds when this new version came out over here. So I think it, it had a small price bump. So what was the US pricing? 33,500 at the moment. So yeah. Uh, but you don't know. Different market, different teams, different decisions on, on the market and stuff. So, look, I, this is a great car, and it all depends on price. And this brings me back to the Bolt and the Bolt EUV. Is it still going at the end of the year? I know we're going to talk about uh, the new Bolt and the new EUV on with the Ultium technology, but that wasn't an overnight flick the switch, was it? That wasn't like on January 1 that car arrives. That's like, oh, in a couple of years' time, the Bolt will come back with Ultium stuff. So, it just seems like an open goal with that vehicle going. I don't know what Hyundai is really competing with. Like Kyle says, maybe a nearly new Model 3. Not much else. Like, oh, right. I wish the Bolt wasn't going. The Bolt's such good value for money. Absolutely. See, and the... that was that was my thought immediately was that this is going to get a, a, a boost by the Bolt going away. And, and the new Bolt, Martin, isn't going to come for a while. Uh, yeah. You know, years before that would be available. So, you know, yeah, uh, the, Hyundai has an opportunity here. To grab some of the uh, the, the previous uh, people that might have been interested in a bolt because there are no lower priced you know EVs at this point right now. I mean Tesla is doing the best of anyone by pushing down the prices of the Model Three, it's tremendous value. But not everybody wants a Model Three. 
You know, so uh, the, right. the, the, this is going to be, I think the Kona is going to benefit from that. And as far as styling goes, I kind of agree with Kyle. I like the previous version's front end better, but I might like the rear end on this new design a little bit more. So I wish I could have it, um, uh, uh, the front end of the previous, the refresh, but the rear end of this. But, uh, uh, you know, I think, and as far as charging, it, it doesn't charge well. But uh, mm-hmm. for a lot of people, and as Kyle said, 90%, of people won't matter. I was just talking to somebody, a Kona owner, the last time I was at an EA station about this. And I was like, you know, does that put you off? And he was kind of like, not at all. It it doesn't, I I hardly ever need to fast charge, he said. And when I do, if I'm here an extra 15 minutes because it doesn't pull, and he knew about charging and everything, he goes, let's say this thing pulled 175 kilowatts or like the new, the the Ionic 5s, you know, I could charge to to 80% in 20 minutes. That means I'm here 20 minutes less. You know what? For once every three or four months that I need to use this, I can wait twenty minutes. It really is no big deal to me. It was a real pragmatic answer. He yep. was just like, like really. I, I know that's what you do, so you stress over every minute of cutting your your DC fast charge because you knew who I was. He's like, <laughs> but honestly, he goes, he goes, you guys stress too much about shaving off five minutes on a DC fast charger. He goes, for most people, there's going to be a a percentage of the population where it it matters to. But for most people, you know what it means? Just means a few more sips of their cup of coffee before they can unplug and take off. Yeah. And you know what? They, I just unplug at 50% um, and just move on. I tried to get a picture last time I was charging about how deep into the pack it slowed down. Because last, yeah, I, I did a bit of a trip the other day and it, it just hung at 70 something kilowatts for ages. Maybe the pack was just the perfect temperature and nice and warm. I've got the existing one, obviously, not this brand new one. And uh, and yeah, it didn't slow down till you can't see that, but uh, 66% and it went uh, down to whatever that is, 56 kilowatts. And then it dropped, but that's into the 60%. And I just unplugged and, and carried on because it, I don't need to hang around at that slow speed, but it does bump up 70, 75, 77 for ages on mine. If the, if the pack is happy and it is the middle of summer, I look, the, the only thing wrong with mine back seats are too small and I've got a five-year-old and a 15 month year old there now, a 15 month old now. So I got two kids seats, back seats too small. I've got to change it. Um, we were joking before we went live. I'm, I was actually looking prices of the EQV, which I can't afford, but I, <laughs> I need a van. I need to be a cliche. I need to get a van or something. And um, the Zeker, the Zeker minivan. Oh, man, I'd love anything an MPV that's electric that with more room. The back seat's far too small, uh, right? Because you know, as you say, the, the smaller the baby, the bigger the car seat, uh, and the boots far is the boots ridiculous. It's just there's just nothing to it. So, right. um, yeah, just looking for stuff. Our market's collapsed over here. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. How, last... how, how, what, what way? Oh, the last six months. Oh, I mean, like I can get a... like the sales or the prices or just the uh, used prices. They were strong. Oh, they strong, strong, right. strong, strong, strong. And then the last six months, uh, maybe more than maybe eight months. Martin, why don't you go for a used e-tron? Yes, used e-tron, thirty-two That's grand. S well, so we call it the S line spec. What do you call it? The one with we didn't, uh... we didn't really get that until later model years, right? But um, we actually, I have the Q8 e-tron on test right now. And I also have our e-tron, which is a 2019. And I think we paid 68, 70 grand for ours. I think it's worth 31 right now. (laughs) We've only put less than 10,000 miles on it. Uh, So like that is the buy of the century. You get massaging seats, go for a top spec, spend an extra couple grand, get everything, all the glazing on the windows. 
and you have an awesome charging curve, best charging curve in the business. Um, yep. It's very inefficient, but who cares with the charging curve? And uh, they're so quiet and comfortable. That is right. the move. And yeah, we have a prestige. That's what I would recommend someone to get, at least in the U.S. So I yeah. saved this one last night as I was looking at it. 17,000 miles on a 2020. So we have two registrations a year. So we have a 70, uh, 70 plate. So it's on a 70 plate, 2020. Um, it's not the absolute top spec, but it's like, th oh, come on camera, 31,379. Like pound, wow, British pounds. I guess we're talking. Yeah, like thirty-two thousand okay. pounds. And That's I'm amazing. like, I was looking at Tesla Model Threes only a few months ago that were that and standard range, standard range Model Three. Right. I mean, refresh pack. So with the new interior, the heat pump and stuff, um, and and all the goodies. So from a twenty-one onwards, that was. But I'm like, well, it's it's not comparable. I don't do massive road trips, as Tom says. I'm not chasing charge time stops, and the e-tron is a beast anyway at charging. But, um that it's not even that wouldn't even be a consideration in my head i'd get the audi every day of the week but now the model 3 is a 27 28 and the e-tron's 32 but it's I don't, still you know, worth I, the extra money but it, yeah. you get an suv you the get so factor. much more car and mm -hmm. the interesting thing is assuming chargers work we have a model three and an e-tron um yeah. they are the almost identical road trip time between the both wow. cars uh, yeah, obviously the e-tron consumes more. The Model 3 is more efficient and it has a higher peak charging. But just mm. that flat charging curve of the e-tron, you unplug it 82% and then you can just rip. It's great. But that car I was looking at would have been 42 or 45 not so long ago. So, you know, I, I know that I've got to sell. I've still got the MGs at SEV. I've got to sell that. Um, we'd have to sell the Kona, I guess. But, um, but so everything is relative, isn't it? So I'd get less money for those. But you get a lot of a lot of EV now for low thirties. An Atron, that's crazy. I know. I was looking at them myself like last last week, and there was some nice ones. I think I put something on Facebook or something. Uh, I just found it like a nice example with low mileage in, in, in the low thirties. I was like, oh, man, yeah, they're very spec dependent. Like you have to find yeah. the right options and do all yeah. the stuff. But when you find the one that fits in, it's not like it's much more expensive than the really low spec ones as well. Right. All right. So uh, let's move on a little bit. So also this week, we saw some results that were pretty interesting from the first independent real world test of the Tesla Semi and a number of, an, of other commercial trucks. So 10 companies are participating in this North American Council for Freight Efficiencies Run on Less program. Uh, you can find that runonless.com. The vehicles involved include the Ford E-Transit, the Nikola Trey, Freightliner E-Cascadia, there's a bunch here, the International EMV box truck, the Volvo VNR semi-tractor, Motive delivery panel van, the MT-50E, uh, the, oh, right, the, the Motive delivery panel van is one thing, uh, the MT-50E, which is a Freightliner chassis with a Proterra powertrain, uh, there's also some BY Class 8 tractors in there and the Orange EV terminal-style tractor. So that's a wide range of commercial vehicles. So basically, they're tracking the energy usage and charging over the course of the vehicle's workday and laying out the results in graphs. So there's just a ton of that data to check out. I think we're on day five right now, and it's going to go on for, I think, 18 days. And they, for each vehicle, they put... Uh, how much it's traveled in that day, how it's charged, and there's there's graphs of the charging and the distance and the battery uh, 
how the battery uh, discharges its energy. Uh, so there's just a ton of data to check out. Uh, but it was interesting to see some of the distances that the Tesla semi trucks, in particular, were traveling in a day. And because they're they're with, the, I believe, Pepsi in this uh, particular testing thing, so they have uh, just longer routes or more routes. So the biggest day was like 186 miles, 106 miles, for uh, one of these things traveled during the course of its workday which of course involves some charging you know it didn't do that on a, on a single charge of course i think it was tesla number three day four but i'm not positive which one that i, I found it like at two in the morning last night <laughs> <laughs> um so kyle I, I guess have you heard about this uh yeah i had heard about this and um yeah we're we're doing a, a out of spec podcast on this topic as well. And one thing I thought would be kind of interesting uh, to share this anecdotal piece of information with you. Yeah. Uh, the other week I was driving the Polestar out to Monterey car week to California and on this stretch, you know, going over the Donner pass just East of Sacramento between Reno and Sacramento, we passed four Tesla semis, all commercial working trucks. Nice. Yeah. And one stretch. It was awesome. Yes, I haven't seen any over here. Of course, I'm on the on the east coast of the country. They're, they're not outside of that area, is my understanding at the moment. Okay, they're in serial production now, though, right? Yeah, they have been, yeah. and you see them anytime you drive on I-80, you'll pass them testing. So they're okay. they're pulling in and out. I think they do like a final drive loop before they get delivered. But um, yeah, I mean, it, you can pretty much guarantee if you want to see a Tesla semi, you just park somewhere off of the Donner Pass, off an exit or an overpass. Wait. 30 minutes and you're guaranteed to see one or two drive by sweet um all right so i'm not sure if there's anything else we can really get into that maybe we can talk about this more once the uh, we're finished and the, can compile the uh, results of all that data but i mean i could spend i got a little carried away last night looking at that stuff you can you can spend sort of a lot of time <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of data there all right um so real quick, um, I'll, I'll jump in and tell sorry. you about a story that I reported on on EV News Daily podcast this week, and that is the Volvo trucks. Um, the customer was the du Dutch, Danish, Danfoss, and their trucks run 24 hours a day because they've got DC fast charging. The loading and unloading is 15 minutes, which is what they need to get back to the right amount. The, the trip length is the right amount. And so they slow charge them at the weekend they run their their depots they run uh, they've got bi-directional ac chargers on them so at the weekends when they're not doing the runs they run their yard off them and then recharge overnight cheap and then discharge during the day and then they uh, but monday to friday they run 24 hours a day and who who says that electric doesn't work for commercial trucking this use case they only stop for 15 minutes when they're loading and unloading and they're charging. And actually over here as well, there's all sorts of rules and regs on driver's time and downtime and when. So it, it absolutely works for commercial trucking. It a thousand percent does. So don't believe anyone that says only hydrogen works for trucking. They're, EVs absolutely work. Oh, definitely. I, I think so. And in, and this is just the beginning, right? As we say out from, you know, on the regular, batteries are going to get smaller, uh, lighter. You can we'll be able to put more batteries in a, in a truck space and charge faster. Here we go. Volvo and Danfoss introduced the first 24 hour e-truck fleet. I didn't see this. That's great. It's another How, use case of just EVs just work. 
I need to so, listen to Evie News Daily every day. <laughs> we passed we passed nineteen hundred episodes this week of the five and something years of doing a daily EV podcast. I've sort of lost my sanity a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah, I did actually listen to part of an episode uh, a couple of days ago. And oh, I'm sorry like, to hear episode, that. <laughs> no, no it's great. I love it actually. That's why I, I should listen to it every day because it's awesome. Um yeah. Volvo's also getting into heavy equipment uh electric heavy equipment uh they're definitely uh yeah um make and that's that's even a more unique case how do you recharge a big you know uh, bulldozer or or bucket loader on site of a a construction site you know with the the trucks they're moving they're going to different places as long as you have chargers along the routes you can do that but when you're building a new you know uh, building somewhere and you've got some machinery there uh, is it going to be mobile charging that comes on site that charges it? Will they there be some sort of a temporary high power install that the trucks will be able to the vehicles will be able to plug into the machinery uh, will be able to plug into? So that's going to be interesting. But I know they're going pretty heavily now into electric uh, heavy equipment construction equipment. Hmm. That's right. Interesting thoughts about you know the infrastructure for that. Actually, I, I hadn't really put a lot of thought into that for construction sites. I guess it would depend on on the length of time the construction will be taking place and and what sort of I guess uh, power they can get to the building or to that to the site. But, and again, uh, rules and regs over here in Europe, construction is absolutely crippled by noise regulations. And if you can swap out ex- very loud machinery for something electric, which can run with no emissions, can run inside buildings, and you can still run those vehicles inside the basement of a building. Uh, you have to have very expensive extraction equipment. You want the the working conditions to be safe for the you know the men and women operating them. Uh, it's electric makes so much sense in nearly every every possible example you can think of. So uh, Volvo have got four EV factories now making trucks, as in Volvo commercial. Four, and they make their batteries in Ghent. Uh, so they're just, they've got 6,000 orders outstanding uh, in 22 different countries or something. It's like, yeah, we, it, uh, we just recorded a podcast on something they're working on where they're taking the used batteries and using them for stationary storage for DC fast charging hubs and other stuff. So they're, they're trying to create this whole round trip efficiency where you, when the battery is done in the vehicle or it has an accident or something, do you recycle it or do you replace it? It hasn't gone up yet, but we recorded it yesterday. And yeah, so that'll be interesting to see. Right on. Okay. Uh, let's move on real quick. I got another story I want to talk about here, unless you've got something you want more to say, Martin. Okay. Um, so this next bit is about an EV that Honda is about to start selling later this year for $995. So, Oh, I love this one. This one's the best. This I is know, the best. Right? Finally, so affordable EV. No, but it, is, it is so cool. I can't so, wait for everyone to see this. So the, the Japanese automaker says it will be sold in conjunction with its all-new electric SUVs as a sort of last-mile vehicle. So back in the 80s, Honda sold a similar type of thing called the Moto Compo, which you could get with the Honda City, which wasn't sold there. Um, so this one is called the Moto Compacto. Moto Compacto. So it has a top speed of 15 miles an hour, a range of 12 miles, and recharges from 0 to to, uh, to 100, I guess, in 3.5 hours from a 110-volt outlet. So just like the name suggests, it's compact. The handlebars and seat all fold into the vehicle, making it you know super compact and easy to load into your 
your electric Honda SUV. So it looks like a lot of fun to ride and probably safer than those stand-up scooters. But Tom, I don't know. What do you think about, do you think people will be cool with these things on the streets and sidewalks? So one thing I want to point out is sure. with those small wheels, yeah. I do not want to be going 15 miles an hour, the top speed on that thing. I had a Segway. You remember the Segways? <laughs> I used yeah. to tool around Montclair with a Segway. When I owned my restaurant, I used okay, to take it to go to the bank. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Video. How many did video of this, actually, and, Tom, yeah. to make, make sure you're, you're telling us the truth here? You, you have some video of you on, on your Segway? Uh, no, I don't have video of that. But I but I used to drive all around Montclair. I used to like make bank runs and like just run to the supermarket and stuff. And that top speed, I think, was similar to that. I think it was around 15 miles an hour. I forget. And it, it felt like I was going 50 miles an hour, you know, on such a small thing when you're standing upright. And 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 the wheels were bigger than these wheels. These tiny little wheels spinning at 15 miles an hour, uh, you better be on a really smooth surface because otherwise you're going to get thrown around. I think I'd probably keep it at about 10 miles an hour unless I was on, like, freshly paved road where it's nice and smooth. But I mean, that's uh, that aside, super cool. Um, hey, Kyle, want to split? Want to buy one? We'll each throw in five hundred bucks so we could so we could have one in our fleets and just take turns uh, playing around with it. But uh, Tom, I'm ordering I'll, ten of these things. I'm putting one in every car. <laughs> All right, then I'll just take one of yours for free. Just save sure. me five hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> this is so cool. It looks so good. It is, it is cool, uh, and I definitely want to uh, ride one around for for certain. Yeah. So, but if, have you been on the stand-up scooters, Tom? Those like the ones that you, you know can just pick up on the side of the street in the city and, and start riding. Have you driven one of those things? Yeah, I've actually used. Too. I've used those when, uh, believe it or not, like when I'm on some press drives and I'm in a city. You know, I'm at the hotel and I want to run somewhere a couple miles away, and they'll have them like on the sidewalk. And I, I've used them for that. I actually do have video of that. I've never shown it. But I do have video of me because I said I might as well just record a little video of me dry, like scooting down the road on this thing. So I set my camera up and drove by it a few times. Um, so, yeah, I, I, in that regard, you're right. The wheels are about the same size. I was just going back more thinking about my time in the Segway and how if, if the, the surface wasn't very smooth, it was a very difficult, bumpy riding experience. You know what I mean? And uh, May, may, maybe this would be a little bit better. But yeah, I, I mean, that's basically what this is, the scooter, except it's got that big packaging around it that makes it look, you know, give it a different form. And that's a great, for those watching on YouTube now or watching us um, with the video, you can see it, it, the basic frame of it is like, you know, one of those regular scooters that you that you can get, except it has this body around it, I guess. Um, that's not the battery, that whole body. Is that for storage? Or I wonder yes. why I they even have it that. It folds in on itself, handle, so you need that. Handlebars in the seat, yeah. And I guess it would be like a suitcase after that, right? You could pick it up and carry it. Um, I think it only weighs about 40 pounds, right? Um, yeah. It's, I think it was uh, about 40 or 41 pounds, which isn't, the isn't specs bad. Are at the, bottom of, uh, the specs are at the bottom of the Moto Compo or Moto Compacto site, I believe. But it's definitely cool. Can't wait to tool around in one of those. So this reminds me, I'm going to, if I can do this here, I'm going to share this. This reminds me of this back in the, in the early days of uh, EVs, the second gen EVs. This this guy, this thing came out, this person wanted to sell this, which is kind of similar kind of thing, but this was like a, a full kind of speed thing. But it's just that same like luggage, like suitcase sort of, <laughs> look to it and but it has bigger wheels you know i just thought it was interesting that that the that uh 
Honda brought out something so close to that eventually. Uh, but this, yeah, this is kind of small. Like I said, it's compact. I think it's like two and a half feet tall and, and super cheap. Oh, Dave Kruger says, nice, but the MotoChimp is way cooler. That's true. I don't know if we have an example of that. We can pull up real quick. About, I remember seeing uh, Johnny driving the MotoChimp on a video on his, what's uh, Johnny's channel's name over there in the UK? Yeah, he changed it, didn't he? Because it was car pervert and he changed it to something else but yeah uh something a bit more sponsor friendly uh right i think late break show isn't it yeah, oh yeah it's a late break uh, show yeah i mean he just gets hundreds of thousands of views on that channel he's so such a good natural presenter as well uh, and he uh, but he rode this for the fully charged channel so that was okay. long long before johnny left fully charged he uh yeah he rode it for that channel and um it was such a good video i want to go watch it again now yeah, the, the no, motor no, chimps no. also four times as expensive. So that's, oh, okay, there's, that, right. there's yeah. that to consider. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we should probably move on. I guess since we're really more about four wheels than two wheels, so two wheels are fun. <laughs> so, all right. So last week, uh, Kyle and Alyssa, Kyle and Alyssa gave us our first look at the VWIDX, and I just thought we'd share a couple pictures and some specs real quick uh, this week, uh, since you know, we didn't get very into depth then. Because we just, you know, happen, I guess they just happened across it. Um, so this is quite likely the basis for the Volkswagen ID7 GTX. That's the all, the dual motor all-wheel drive version of the ID7. It boasts 551 horsepower from a permanently excited synchronous motor on the rear axle and an additional asynchronous motor up front, which they say allows them to overboost the power for short periods. Uh, the rear axle. Um, also has a differential lock controlled by the vehicle's dynamic man manager, which also handle, handles the uh, manages the drive torque. Uh, charging peak charging power is 200 kilowatts. Uh, so, real quick, any thoughts on this, Kyle? Since you've already also driven the regular Volkswagen ID7. Oh well, this this isn't real. Just so you know, this is not a thing. It's not going it, to be the IDX. No, the I, the GTX is going to be so boring. The GTX. Yeah. No, that's going right. to have well, I mean, you know, same same as like you know three hundred thirty horsepower and no big brakes and none of this really? stuff. Oh yeah, this really? this is no relation to anything that will come to market. I thought there was kind of like paving the way to show us this you know high performance no. you know GTX ID seven. Maybe we wouldn't see a big nope. spoiler on the back of like this one, but no, no, not, not nothing even closely related. The GTX is going to be boring. I mean, we were with Volkswagen when they unveiled the car. Uh, obviously, right. I went to dinner with the guys after the podcast last week, and they're like, "Oh yeah, no, it was fun, fun to build it." it they don't even know if it like works. Okay. Like they haven't really even like tested anything on it. They haven't driven it fast. So, right. and, and they do say this vehicle will not go on sale, but, man, but just... and, it, and it doesn't mean like it, it's not an indication that the GTX is going to be spicy. Don't expect anything like this. Okay. Well. Man, I'm. I feel I wasn't going to buy it. Volkswagen ID. Seven myself, but I, I still feel disappointed. I don't know why. I, I'm sorry <laughs> to disappoint you, but this is quite. Yeah. You know, that's what Volkswagen does. They come out with something that we really want, and then they disappoint us. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, let's move on then. So it, it reminds me we we should have a conversation at some point about Walter Isaacson's book about Elon Musk because he had absolute access for 3 years uh, to all of Elon's meetings, conference calls. He just followed him around to document Elon's life for 3 years. I can't wait to read that book, but the excerpts that we've heard from it uh, already have been really interesting and one of them if you missed it in the week was after the Cybertruck reveal. He then went to the engineers and went make me something that moves so I can take it to dinner with 
Grimes in Las Vegas to get to get the world hyped. And they're like, but we haven't built one that moves. We've like built one to sit on stage and we can get like a test vehicle for the journos on that one day. He's like, no, get me something that drives. They're like, oh, they had to go away and find some sort of mule, something that looked like a Cybertruck that also ran. Because that wasn't the vehicle. I understand that the journalists on the influencers had a go in that day. That's, we've got a, I can't wait to read that book. I think it's, is it out now? I'm not uh, sure. I guess I, I guess I should read it. I guess it's important, you know. Amazing. Uh, some of the meetings that he was privy to um, around the design, uh, he just he says all the detail, and Elon must have signed off on it because the conversations that he had about having no um, sort of no compromise on the Cybertruck styling, uh, how there was like a secret Skunk Works team um, at Tesla that were like give him the Cybertruck, but we'll work on something real. And they went away and worked on what they thought would be the Cybertruck. And they're like, let him have his little play, but then we'll do like, we'll work on the real project. Um, and he was like, no, I'm deadly serious. I want it to be like this and made out of this and do this. And uh, and yeah, they went away and did a, a, a proper truck, which was never used. Well, b back when he first floated this idea of the Cybertruck, Elon did say, you know, the styling was going to be way out there. So if it didn't really fly, they were going to do a, a regular style truck as well. Mm. So I guess they took him at his word. Well, there we go. Yeah. Interesting. Um, all right. See, Tom, so you put out a video this week, uh, speaking of Tesla, uh, around the Tesla Universal Wall Connector, which can be used with non-Teslas and Teslas alike. So you put it through your freezing, dropping, and drowning process um, for your reviews that you do. And so what do you think? Is it the best EV charge available today, as you ask in your video question title? Well, if it's not, it's pretty damn close. Uh, okay. it's, it's, it's a really a good unit. Um, it's on the wall behind me right here. And uh, we talked about this a couple of times uh, when I, I did uh, unboxing video and then an installation video. And now this was my full review because I had a chance to use it for a few weeks and uh, really, uh, you know, put it through the paces. I also added a new test that I'm doing uh, to my EV chargers, and that's an extreme heat test where I um, put a heat lamp on the unit and bake it for about two hours at 120 degrees before I plug it in. And then I plug it in and let it charge a vehicle at its maximum draw for two hours to see if it derates and measure the temperature and everything. It was running at the body of the unit was running at about 160 degrees uh, during the charging test, which is higher than its uh, stated operating temperature of 122 degrees. So um, I'm still going to tweak this test a little bit. I think I need to get a second heat lamp and have it on the connector plugged into the car. So the connector right. is maintaining a high, uh, you know, excessive heat while it's charging the car. The way it is now, the connector got hot also. The connector was like 120 degrees when I plugged it into the vehicle, but uh, then there was no heat lamp on the specific connector. So that's a new test I'm, I'm playing around with. A lot of my followers said, that, you know, the cold weather test is great, but what about for us? We live in Arizona and sometimes the chargers will derate if they get too hot. So um, I figured I have to figure out a way of doing... Uh, uh, a hot test. So I'm still tweaking that, but it passed it. It passed every test that I threw at it. Uh, it's, it's a great unit. It's got a four year warranty. I think it's reasonably priced. You can order one now, uh, but it, they're not going to start shipping until October, but um, you know, Tesla nailed it. All Tesla's charging equipment is actually very good. Uh, everything they make surprisingly, uh, I, I shouldn't be surprised, but it's surprisingly good. The, the equipment by far the best, uh, 
charging equipment sold by any manufacturer that also sells cars. A lot of companies sell their own uh, uh, charging equipment, and uh, some of it's pretty good. A lot of it isn't that good at all, but Tesla's equipment is fantastic. And now that you can use this to charge any EV, yes, Doug, you can mount it outside. We just had a question that we pulled up. It's NEMA 3 rated, so it's fine for outdoor use. Um, and, uh, it, it's, it passed everything. The fact that you can now charge any EV with this, and that's really important as the industry transitions to the, the uh, NAX connector, the Tesla connector, it, you may have a, an, uh, uh, J1772 equipped EV now, but your next EV in two or three years might, might have a NAX connector on it. And, uh, you won't have to swap your charging equipment. You won't have to go out and buy an adapter. You can buy an adapter. We, you can use one of these. This would work just fine if you had a, uh, a Tesla connector and you were charging your car, but you know, now uh, it just adds another level of complexity to, to this is just so elegant where the adapter just naturally stays inside the, the, the charger. If you don't need the adapter, if you need it, you just pop it out and plug it in. Uh, if you want to get one of these, get one of these and leave it in your car. If you're on the road somewhere down the road and you want to charge your NAX equipped electric vehicle with a, uh, 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 a, a Tesla um, a wall connector or a Tesla, um, uh, what are they, destination charger. There's adapters for that, and then there's adapters for the other way. So you might want to have those in your vehicle anyway, but this, to be able to buy it and charge any vehicle with it is, is a great move, and I suspect it's going to be copied. Uh, let's see how well that works. But one thing I did find out, at least initially, this is one of the negatives. If that adapter breaks they, Tesla will not sell you another adapter. Hmm. It's 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 tethered to the unit. The way they described it to me, almost you wouldn't be able to do it. There'd be no way for you to attach it um, and safely. So I, I I would suspect they'll sell you the whole cable that you can swap out with with the adapter. But for now, at least they're not going to sell those adapters individually. That that adapter will not be on Tesla's website. They're going to sell some sort of an a, a different adapter, but not that. And, um, and uh, if it breaks, mm. you're screwed. So it, it's linked <laughs> at least for now. It's linked to that charger in, in some sort of way, like, a. uh, I don't like think a, so, Martin. It, it, it's, it, it's the fact that, you know, as I mentioned, let me unplug this. So right now it's tethered to this connector that if it broke, There'd be no way for you to remove this one oh. and put the new one on. Yes, you, you, you know right. what I'm saying. Uh, now, what surprised me, I almost think that you, there would be a way to do it. Um, if if you just broke this thing off, like physically broke it off, cut it off, which they wouldn't allow you to do, and then took the other adapter and put it inside, and then slid this in, I would almost think you'd be able to mm. make it work that way. But you know, for whatever reason, Tesla's decided that they're not going to offer that as an option. And and I talk about in my review one of the one of the few um, uh, complaints I had about it was, and I'm going to pull this thing out again, was th this tab on the top of the uh, adapter right. is not very robust. You can see there, it's it's kind of thin uh, compared to the tab on a lot of the other charging equipment that I review. Uh, is usually thicker and it feels more robust than this. And I think this, if it's dropped the right way, I think, I think it'll break. And uh, now, now you've got an issue, you know, with that, it, if it breaks, I, I don't know, it, it might render the whole 
charger useless because I don't, if you can't dock it back into the unit, then you can't remove the the NAX connector. So you wouldn't be able to use it either way. So that that's well, a little bit of an issue. Charge, I'm gonna, I'm, what's that? You can charge. It just might arc when you unplug it. Yeah, if if you did it properly, you know, if you, I'm sure you could still press the tab and it would it would it would turn off the charging even if even if that that end broke. Um, but it's just something to consider. It's something to consider. I wonder how Tesla's going to deal with that with their commercial applications. It might be something they haven't sorted out yet because they, these are going to be all over the place commercially. I mean, was it Hilton? That signed to install Hilton, 20,000 of these they're going to install at their chargers. Those tabs are going to break 100%. So what what, what will be the solution? I'm going to follow up and, and try to get more. I've already asked Tesla this question when they responded to me and said, no, you can't replace it. But I'm going to follow up with a question and say, hey, how about commercial owners? Like, you, you can't tell me they have to buy a whole new $500 unit if if that plastic tab breaks. What's going to be the solution? So I'll follow up on that, and I'll, I'll make that known. Right on. So, um, yeah. But I will, Don, before we move on, sure. I do have to say it did score the highest rating uh, on my Charger Raider scorecard than any other electric vehicle charger ever, ever scored. It scored 97 points. And uh, um, the, the, it, even if they, if they do some small tweaks, it actually could have scored 99 points with a couple of small tweaks. Like I didn't give it a point for the app showing ext extensive past charging history data. But the Tesla has told me that app's going to be ready in like a week. So okay. that would give it another point right there. So that there's, um, you know, there's this actually could be a 99 score, which is just off the charts for my uh, my scoring system. Wow, nice, right on. Uh, so let's see, we only have a few other stories that we can touch on really quickly. But uh, Kyle, you had a, a few videos. I just want to mention to to our, our viewers that if uh, we, so, we talked about the mini. Electrics coming a couple episodes back, but you put out a couple of videos this week where you do some walkarounds and talk all about all the features. I don't know if you want to say anything about those vehicles. About just go watch the videos, but yeah, the videos are up there, uh, both on the the mini hardtop and on the Countryman. Uh, mm -hmm. Sort of full tours on on both of the electric versions of those. Right, and the the Countryman is the one that's coming here. Uh, well, they're both coming here, but the Countryman's coming here at launch soon. And then right. the hard top or the Cooper, the, the small one is just delayed, but they're still planning to bring it to the U S. Okay. Cause that one's built in China, right? The small yeah. one. But I think okay. in 26 or 27, they'll build it in the UK is what it sounds uh, like after some uh, announcements this week. Okay. And then that will come, or that was just announcements for the Aceman. Like I'm not a hundred percent sure, but right. uh, mini mini says they're working on bringing it to the U S. Okay, that's that's interesting how they get around because there's a big, you know, tariff for Chinese cars coming here. And yeah, so it might just be expensive. Like EX30 will be built in China. Polestar Volvo products right, are right. already but, built there. But Volvo sells, Volvo sells makes cars in the U.S. and, and exports them, so they can use that as a sort of uh, they can as a credit not, against in, against Polestar, the Chinese tariff. Right? Sorry, not Polestar. Uh, Polestar cannot no unless right. they and build cars just car just companies that uh build and export cars from the u.s can use some of that uh work to offset the uh, credits i mean the tariffs from china okay yeah yeah but i'm not sure how that's going to work from the polestar standpoint because right. 
unless they're considering part of Volvo Group, which then Mini could be considered part of BMW Group and they export BMW X5s and X3s from Spartanburg. So who knows how they're going to do it? Right. Hmm. All right. Uh, yeah. Oh, you also had a little tour of the smart number one, I believe. Hashtag number one. Um, that people can check out on your channel this week. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, so last week we talked a lot about uh, Chinese cars coming to Europe and maybe eventually to the US. And you know, the, the EU has a lot of Chinese cars. But this week, um, and Martin, you're more aware of this than me because I saw you saw it on your EV News Daily show that the that the um, the EU is launching uh, like an inquiry or something into the flood of Chinese electric cars in the EU. There's some sort of probe going on. I saw, yeah. I saw something this morning that the Chinese are, are understandably not happy about that development, but uh, any, anything about this we can talk, should talk about right now, or should we wait until they come to some sort of decision or, or. Okay. So background, Germany, France, big car makers there badgering the European Commission, European Union, European Commission, uh, for a long time over the cheap Chinese cars that are being flooded in. So the head of the European Commission, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, uh, is spewing about this. And she said, we're going to open an official investigation into possibly opening up tariffs on Chinese cars coming in. And of course, that includes Tesla because they make their cars in Shanghai, which again is, is not great for Tesla because they got obviously gigafactory berlin but it would you know maybe it's 10 20 percent on a car makes it ridiculously expensive if they do that china responded this morning as blatant protectionism and i'm not sure that is the insult that they think it is because it's like the inflation reduction act it's absolutely protectionism like let's not say that's some sort of swear word i think china was like ah gotcha like the eu were like yeah totally we are totally wanting to protect our uh, car makers. And why is that? Very quickly, uh, China was very upset. Uh, as always, China gets very indignant about these things. Uh, but, you know, kind of takes one to no one. They have the largest financial aid tax breaks for electric vehicles. Since 2016, China has spent 57 billion US dollars equivalent on supporting the purchase of electric vehicles. That's five times what the United States has spent with all the various incentives. Secondly, there's production subsidies. And so you, if you make an EV, you get subsidies. Uh, the biggest beneficiaries are those of BYD and Tesla. They spent 5.4 billion US dollars on that uh, over the last year. Thirdly, there's cheap land, cheap loans, cheap grants that the Chinese offer. Have some land, Tesla. Dear Elon, come in. Have this land. Have these loans from the Chinese banks to build Giga Shanghai. It boosts local economies, but that money's very cheap. Fourthly, R&D are subsidized. Provincial level, local level in China. Key technologies are subsidized. Free money available. Fifth, bulk purchasing. The Chinese EV sector gets a boost because all of the government procurement all buy Chinese-made EVs. So, you want to talk about protectionism, China are the experts at doing that. And you know what? Done a great job with it. So I think the ultimately the consumer will lose out on cheap Chinese cars, but they're really good at it themselves. And they hate the idea that Europe's gone, hang on, we're going to add a bunch of money to cars coming in from China. And that's your update on Europe versus China. Thank you. It's very good. It's like you're well a professional. Like you... It almost sounds like you do this for a living. Hey, 1,900 episodes later. <laughs> it's and all sinking in up that, here somewhere. So, so completely true and spot on. <laughs> it's, you know, and I've been over there and I've, I've worth for Inside EVs covered the Chinese electric vehicle industry kind of when it was in its infancy. 
Um, I have been backing off a little bit lately. I've been doing a lot of stuff with my own stuff, state of charge, but I, I spent a lot of time going. I went, I've been to China multiple times, talked to the executives, visited their facilities, and they get a tremendous amount of support for the government. And, uh, you know, oh, you want a new factory? Sure. Here's some land. We'll get the local municipality to chip in half the money and they'll be your partner in the factory, but you still own the tech and all that. Like the, it, it, it's, if, if the European and American uh, car manufacturers had such support, we would need to really look into some sort of a tariff system, which I don't like, but it is unfair. It, it, it flat out the way it is right now. It's just complete unfair uh, competition. So something has to be done. I mean, we, we've done it here already with tariffs with Chinese cars. I don't like that. I wish we could negotiate some sort of a, a better way of dealing with it, but that's, that's just kind of like the, the hammer. Uh, you know, you smell, okay, tariff, boom, 10 grand a car, 30% or whatever. I, I'm sure there's other means of making it more fair, but um, sometimes those are hard to negotiate. Right on. Yeah, uh, so we're going to end the show here, right but now I think uh, Martin has a school run or something. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've put him in after school club. He finishes at three. It's 4 p.m. now here in the UK. And so he's gone to his club for an hour uh, so that I could be here today and every Friday. And uh, But I, I am on a, a hard promise to go and get my little man because you were you ever left at school as being the last one picked up by mum or dad and the teachers waiting there and it's like i don't want to be that dad so i'm going to skedaddle in a minute and go pick him up all right um so the only other news little thing i wanted to mention was this company goshen it's a chinese battery company they announced a two billion dollar electric vehicle battery gigafactory in illinois uh, 40 gigawatt hours of production they make a uh, lithium manganese iron phosphate chemistry with a really great uh, gravimetric density of 240 watt hours per kilogram which is you know which is about the same as the tesla 4680 cell which is kind of Im impressive for that technology which is maybe more fire safe i don't know but the regular lfp packs are i'm not sure what, what the manganese does to that but anyway that brings us to the end of our show if you have any questions or comments, uh, please leave us a comment below or get in touch with us on Twitter, where we are Batteries Inc. Pod, or on Threads, where we are Batteries Included Podcast. You can also follow Martin on Twitter or Threads at EV News Daily. On Twitter, Tom is at Tomalog, that's with two M's, and Tomalogny on Threads. I'm Dominic Oni on Threads and in real life. Uh, <laughs> Kyle is at It's Kyle Corner on Twitter, or I guess I should say X, right? But I'm, no. I'm stuck in the past. Hey, but anyway, you all know what I'm talking about. He goes by Virtual Kyle on threads. Don't forget, you can, uh, if you like the show, please give us a thumbs up, click subscribe, tap that bell icon for notifications. Thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate having you here. And we'll see you all again very soon. Ciao.